It took three years to build. Now the Cannon House Office Building, once known as the Old House Office Building, is in the midst of a redo that'll take 10 years. The original cost is unknown, but the renovation is heading toward a billion dollars. For the latest assessment of the project, we turn to the Managing Director of Infrastructure Operations at the Government Accountability Office, Terry Dorn. He spoke with Tom Temin. The project is broken down into five phases so that they can accommodate Congress uh, in their two-year cycle. And so each phase is broken into two years, and they intend to finish a phase before the next class of congressmen comes in. So the building is occupied while this is going on? Yes, which is certainly a complication for uh, any sort of construction project. Because if you could clear them out, it probably could have been done in five years, safe to say? Yes, yes. It could be done a lot faster if the building was unoccupied. All right, so what is the first three phases that they have finished with? What is the status of the building at this point? So the first three phases, the first one was just all the basic utilities, the behind the wall, the under the floor things that no one gets too excited about unless you're an engineer like me. And then the next two phases were two of the walls. If you think of the the last four phases, each one is a different wall of this large block-wide building. So the first two phases are done. We're in the middle of the third phase. So we are about halfway through this project. In other words, it's a four-sided hollow building, and they're doing a side at a time? That's correct. Almost like the Pentagon was done a wedge at a time. It'd be very similar to that, a wedge at a time. Yes, exactly. And that includes up at the fifth floor where there was storage. They're converting storage into additional offices because, as you can imagine, as you know, since 1900, the Congress has grown. And there is certainly a crunch for office space in the Capitol buildings. And that fifth floor was originally built after the completion of the original building. They added the fifth floor some years later to make more offices, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like that office space got taken away for storage of junk. Right. And now they need it it for people. (laughs) Right. And that's been one of the complications, too, is, you know, taking the roof off and building a new roof, essentially adding another floor to an occupied building. So they had to build a roof enclosure to enclose each one of these wedges while they were doing it. It sounds like they might have been lucky because they didn't discover anything horrifying that had to be done that would drive the cost and schedule up, such as a rotten foundation or the building was sinking or that kind of thing. Is it safe to say it's basically sound? Exactly. The building is basically sound. It needed modernizing, brought up to current codes, such as the ADA. They found a few minor things that you would expect in an old building, a little bit of asbestos here and there, that sort of thing, but nothing that wasn't handled properly. And the building's going to be a great building for another 100 years when it's done. Wow. So it wasn't like a Florida condo tower or something, and it wasn't about right. to collapse <laughs> exactly. on anybody. And but it could have been if you had left it alone. Back in 2004 or so, when they started designing this building, stone was actually nine- falling off the outside of the building. You mean 1904? Well, 2004 is when they were beginning to do condition assessments of this building. It took them about 10 years to get from there to the, hey, do we have enough money to renovate? Golly, the FBI must be looking at this thing with a lot of jealousy. (laughs) We're speaking with Terry Dorn, the Managing Director of Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And the Canon, is it considered historically significant or architecturally significant? Uh, Yes, it is, again, the oldest congressional office building on the hill and it's just a beautiful building i encourage everyone after covid to go check it out yeah those buildings they did use nice materials and they used you know world-class architects at the time now who manages a project for the capital it's not the gsa though is it no it's the architect of the capital they're responsible for all of the buildings on capitol hill 
All right. And do you have any recommendations for them? My recommendations for them are continue to do these risk assessments and keep communication open with Congress. Whether or not you're renovating a billion-dollar building or you're renovating the kitchen for your spouse, manage your risks, keep communication open, and try to stay within your budget. Yeah, sure. And speaking of kitchens, I mean, there are kitchens in this building, but I was surprised to understand that when it was originally opened, every single congressional office had running water in that office. You didn't have to go down the hall. So is that still the case, as far as you know, for when it reopens? Uh, Yes. The members will have separate restrooms and things like that to take care of their privacy and security. So, yes, there is running water. It should be running in the proper places in the building when it's done. Yeah, like in New York, water has to be over water, so they can't move the bathrooms (laughs) (laughs) to meet with the codes. And what about the computer communications, the digital infrastructure of the building? Has that been something they've upgraded also while they've been doing this? Absolutely. Upgrading all of the systems, the cabling, the internet systems, the fire alarm systems, the building control systems, all of that sort of infrastructure has been one of the main reasons to do this project. Even though this project is on schedule, the budget that was originally offered is being pretty much busted, isn't it? What, what are the cost trends here? So the cost is projected to go up. The uh, architect of the Capitol is conducting another risk assessment of the cost in the schedule, and that is due to be completed in November. But they've identified several risks, as you would expect. COVID has reared its ugly head on this project. There could be delays just for access to the building. It would cause supply chain issues. It's harder to get things. The price of lumber, as you heard, went up a lot during COVID. And then the capital attack also caused additional security concerns and site access issues, which uh, made it harder to get into the building to work. So the estimate's gone up by a couple of hundred million dollars since the original. The original estimate was in the $753 million range. And the last official estimate, I believe, was about $890 million. And the Appropriations Committee, I believe, just appropriated another $93 million to the project and cited that there is about $20 million that they are expecting over cost risk. Terry Dorn is Managing Director of Infrastructure Operations at the Government Accountability Office. We'll post this interview along with a link to the report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. And you can hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. 
Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. 
That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.